Welcome to the 451st episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. Stay tuned for my interview with P. Jelly Clark, author of the new novel, A Master of Gin. Stay tuned for the interview. Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Fenderson Jelly Clark, author of the new novel, A Master of Gin. Clark is the award-winning and Hugo and Sturgeon-nominated author of the novellas The Black God's Drums and The Haunting of Tramcar 015. His short story, The Secret Lives of the Nine Negro Teeth of Washington, earned him both a Nebula and Locus Award. Fenderson, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's great to be here. Great. If someone hasn't yet heard about your novel, A Master of Gin, how would you describe the novel? Uh, A Master of Gin is a bit of a murder mystery meets a type of detective novel, perhaps meets The (laughs) X-Files, but set in an alternate steampunk Cairo in 1912 where there is uh, there's a great science as well as magic. And do you remember the original idea or impetus that led you to writing the dead gin universe stories and now novel? Yeah, the impetus, trying to remember back, I, I know that for A Dead Gin in Cairo, which was the first story in this universe that I published in 2016 with Tor, the idea came simply with that opening image of the protagonist uh, at this at the scene of a crime. And I think everything flowed from there. If I were to go back and say what brought that into being, I think I was trying to write, I was trying to write a type of anti-colonial what if, but trying to make it a bit fun. And I'm curious, what was your initial writing journey that led you to writing and getting your first stories published? Oh, that was a long journey. I do not have the the great tale of my first novel was a hit in there and, and everything happened. This was about a 20-year journey, to tell you the truth, where I first started writing short stories. Of course, back then, I didn't know what I was doing. So when I say short stories, my short stories were like 20,000 words long. But I had the zeal to write. And I, I didn't get anything published because you're not going to get a short story published if it's 20,000 words. And I think I did that for a few years before I stopped and I really went back and I kind of investigated much more the world of the short story market. I read a lot more short stories. I had an idea of, I tried to get an idea of what was selling and so forth. And I just started trying to teach myself how to write smaller short stories. And as I did so, I got some publishing success and things have really just moved from there. And and what was that process like for you to learn how to write short as opposed to what you were saying, 20,000 word stories? Which is odd because here I am now writing whole novellas that are 20,000. <laughs> so that side of it, the ability, my ability to write, I never ever, I have to, never have to worry that I'm not going to have enough works. And so that's helped me out. But the process really was you learn by what you read. And that can be good or bad because you can pick up great habits as well as bad ones. But it just really, it was really me sitting down, reading short stories in various e-signs and magazines, and just understanding the dynamics of how, how do you tell a story in such a short amount of time? How do you keep it that short? How do you still put forth a plot and characters that people are interested in and just 
hold them for that short amount of time. And that just took, again, a lot of reading and then practicing when it came to what I wanted to do and the kind of stories I wanted to write. And it wasn't always successful. Some of my short stories, Adejin in Cairo, stumbled over into 11,000 words. <laughs> and so <laughs> luckily there was someone there, Tor was there to pick and publish it. But I, it's, but it's, a, it's still a work in progress for me. I still tend to write longer than short. And so whenever I can get a short story down, it's, I see it as a bit of a win. How has your work as a historian impacted your fiction writing? Yeah, as, as much as I try to keep the two worlds separate, I think they've bled into each other quite a lot. At the end of the day, as writers, we're always looking for inspiration. The speculative fiction writers, we're always looking for some kind of inspiration from some aspect of the real world, even if we're making up our own worlds. And it just so happened that history gives me just about everything I need. <laughs> so I think I went pulling in history from the very beginning. My short stories would be really didactic. Twilight Zone-ish. And I would pull on things from history to get my points across. And I think it's just became a place that has been a bit of inspiration for me. Something that I am interested in history, some aspect of history. And then I attempt to translate it through the fantastic. And sometimes that works. And sometimes, sometimes you get lucky and it works. Sometimes it doesn't. But again, I've been fortunate enough that people have liked the way I've done some of these stories. We're currently in a time when science fiction and fantasy is beginning to reflect racial, gender, and cultural diversity in both story mm -hmm. ideas and topics and the writers who are writing those novels and stories. Yeah. And unfortunately, that's not always been the case. I'm curious, when you were starting to write those stories, was it ever hard for you to find your writing voice, given the years of science fiction and fantasy that frankly wasn't that different? A bit of yes and no, because while science fiction and fantasy certainly was not diverse, and I grew up trying to find characters that looked like me, much less finding writers that looked like me who were simply, who represented a bit of diversity. That was hard. At the same time, though, I, I grew up around communities that of color who were friends and what have you, who were constantly into this stuff. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And so in some ways, we had been developing our own voice, if that makes sense. Even while not seeing ourselves there, we, we still interpreted these things through our own lens. And so when it came to writing, 
it wasn't so much that finding my voice was simply the difficulty that any uh, writer has. And I'm still not certain. People say, what's your voice? I still could not really tell you what that is. I had the regular, the regular problems that I think anyone has in trying to to find their voice and to not sound like all, all, all the books you've read and all the authors you really love and to make sure you're not simply telling some new version of their story. That's always uh, difficult. But certainly there was not the diversity there. However, as I, as I like to say, there were always people interested in this stuff. I always knew other writers of color, other diverse writers who were trying to write this stuff. And so there, there was always someone there was, it was never like my voices in the wilderness. It may not have been mainstream. It was not picked up by the major publishers, but those writers and those creatives were just always around me. Were there authors that inspired you when you were getting started in your own journey of writing stories? <laughs> authors? I mean, yeah, again, it was, it was a little bit of everything. I think I didn't read Octavia Butler, for instance, until I was an adult. And I was like, oh, wow, sure. here's this fantastic. This is what I've been looking for. And how did I never come across <laughs> her before? And that was, that were great. Writers like Tanana Reeve Dew, for instance, reading some of her works and letting me know this idea of how far I could go and what could be possible. Certainly, N.K. Jemison, I always still say I credit her for helping me really expand my idea of what the fantastic. But I, then I also grew up on a lot of authors, I would say, that influenced me, Ray Bradbury. I read Illustrated Man in middle school and was blown away. Other writers, I'm, I'm a big Robert Jordan fan. So I, I had to learn when I was starting off writing, not to write in Robert Jordan-esque <laughs> writing. <laughs> Take two pages to describe someone's hat. No, those I still love that kind of work. And I still say it influences me, even if you know I, I don't have the page length to do that kind of thing. Uh, I'm curious about your writing process. Is it the same with each story? And when you sit down to write a new story, have you thought about it usually beforehand? Or are you sitting down literally to a blank page? Oh, that's a great question. No, I'm, I'm not a pantser, as they call it, the people who <laughs> write by the seat of their pants. No way. I sketch out something beforehand. And normally, that's a great point you've made there. Normally, I've been thinking about the story for a while. And I probably think about a story before I ever sit down to write any notes on it. I've probably thought about it maybe for weeks, if not. And I think about it in my spare time while I'm walking somewhere, while I'm mowing the lawn, <laughs> while I'm driving and commuting. It may be in my head. And I'm normally playing over ideas, scenes, and I'm getting excited about the story. And it's when I've reached like that point where I was like, okay, I want to write this. And it's not simply some straight daydream that I've had that I'll sit down and I'll jot down a few notes. If it's a short story, I can jot down the notes pretty quickly. I used to use like a small little black book. Now I simply use my iPhone, that wonderful notepad feature on there, <laughs> which I always save. I don't, sometimes I'm afraid I save it like three times. I don't lose it upload it to the cloud. So I'll write it down in there. And normally that might be enough for a short story. If I'm writing a novella, certainly a novel, those notepad, those notepad, those little notes are my beginning. But when I get ready to write, I started using Scrivener. I don't write in Scrivener. I'm still loyal to Word, <laughs> but Scrivener is <laughs> a great place for me to hold information. Right, and right. it's a great place for me to sketch out my chapters if I'm writing a novella or novel. And I'll just put my notes in there and I'll sketch it out from chapter to chapter. Just briefly, this is what's going to happen here. No more than a paragraph. And then I let the story, then once I start writing, I let the story write itself. And when the story writes itself, it's going to have that roadmap. But who knows, new characters will emerge, uh, new chapters will emerge as I'm going. So as much as I 
lay out this roadmap and this guide, when you start writing, you you don't know what's going to happen. Sure. I'm curious if you can talk about your work with the with the Fire Literary Magazine. Yeah, Fire. So this was an interesting thing, and it this came about really with a fellow writer, Troy Wiggins. We were both we, we both would talk behind the scenes a lot about getting into the industry and and, and about writing. We'd been talking about this for years. And I think at some point, I want to say it was 2015 or so, I think I, I, I said, hey, wouldn't it be great if we put out like a black literary magazine and we made it in the vein of Fire, which was the Harlem Renaissance magazine that was put out by the likes of Zora Neale Hurston and Langston Hughes and all of these really famous black writers of the period. And they only put out one magazine. And in here, they put in these really groundbreaking stories that were at times uh, going against the grain of of modern society. They have queer characters. They have characters who don't always embody the quote unquote positive tropes that many black activists of the time, like Du Bois and other Du Bois and others insisted that they create in their literature. And so it was this, it was, it was radical in its own way. And I said, what if we did something like that? And he said, Hey, that might be a great idea. And then I promptly forgot about it <laughs> because I was working on my dissertation. I was doing a fellowship in the middle of Pennsylvania, and I was just trying to get done so I could get my PhD. And I completely forgot about it. And then fast forward, uh, sometime later, Fireside Fiction did an entire, did, did basically a survey of looking at diversity within the speculative fiction market and found that there was really a dearth of Black writers being published. And basically, uh, Troy, as well as several other Black writers in this who belong to this collective, said, what about that fire idea? And they basically took that idea, that little German idea that I had tossed out and done nothing with, and they basically turned it into this phenomenal magazine that has now won literary awards that has published some very good right black writers from across the diaspora and that has even put on its own convention now so all this to say my work with them was like the disembodied disembodied voice in the clouds that says hey here's an idea <laughs> they did all the work and so all the credit that's goes the best to kind them. of project right <laughs> all the credit goes to them <laughs> he took it beyond that's my great. dreams it's not you know not just one i was thinking it was one thing and it would be like wow but they've made it a recurring thing and it's going and so great that's work great. by them yeah. That's great. I'm curious, what writing advice would you offer those who are working on their own stories or novels? Oh, writing advice. One, be patient with yourself. <laughs> Maybe you don't need to write every day. It's okay to take a break. I would say be persistent. Try not to get caught up on that one project that you're working on forever. The best thing is get it done and then start on the next thing. Because if you're planning to send it out to the market or an agent or whatever, that's going to take a while. And in the meanwhile, you can't sit there looking at your computer, refreshing the email to see if you've gotten a response <laughs> back. The best thing is to get it done, get it out, and then see what else you have in mind, right? Because you never know that first idea you thought was your greatest idea and maybe that third or fourth one, that's the one that gets picked up. So that's some advice that I would definitely give the folks. Oh, and... You don't be afraid to share your work. Beta readers are great. Writing groups are great to get feedback. You don't have to listen to everything someone says, but you should at least know it. So please don't be afraid to share your work with others and to get that kind of feedback that you need. 
That's great. What novel stories or nonfiction books have you read recently that you enjoyed? I'm trying to think. What if I've been so bogged down? I, I want to stick it to fiction because then I'll, I'll start bringing up okay. all these books. <laughs> uh, what have I read recently? Whenever somebody asks me this, I always blank and I don't know why because I have just read a bunch of stuff. So let me think really quickly. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, I know. I can, I'm I never. Can, I can always edit. I don't That's know fine. why. And I've seen other authors as well, and we're like, why are we not prepared for this? And I said, I don't yeah. know. I read recently. Oh, I finally got sat down and read N.K. Jemison's The City We Became, which I thought was phenomenal. I, I was like, okay, I see exactly why this is getting all the praise. I read recently a book, Creatures of Passage by uh, Marora Yehide, which was a, is an excellent book. The writing and the prose in there is just amazing. This summer, I got to read uh, C.L. Clark's The Unbroken. Uh, great secondary world fantasy. Can't wait to see the second one. So yeah, I think those are the more recent books I've read. Great. Where can people find you online if they'd like to learn more about you and your stories and novellas and your new novel, A Master of Gin? Sure. I can be found at my website, pjellyclark.com. So just my name with the .com. And I'm on Twitter at the same thing at P. Jelly Clark. Great. Well, again, we've been speaking with Fenderson Jelly Clark, author of the new novel, A Master of Gin. The novel is on sale now, so go buy a copy. And Fenderson, thanks for doing this interview. Thank you very much for having me.